electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Front and center this hour, the state of stocks after Monday's monster rally. Where will your money really work best in the weeks and months ahead? We debate that today with our investment committee. We welcome a special guest as well, Brad Gerstner of Altimeter Capital. He'll join us in just a bit. Our traders for the hour today, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, Pete Nigerian, Tiffany McGee, the CEO of Momentum Advisors Institutional Investment Services Group. Michael Farr is back, the president of Farr, Miller and Washington. Brad Gerstner joining the conversation in just a few minutes. In the meantime, let's kick it off with a check on stocks. I'll take you to the wall. We are focused today again on this big pullback for tech. NASDAQ remains under pressure by more than one percent. Farmer Jim, I want to know, are we witnessing this so-called transition trade right before our eyes from growth to value? And does it have staying power? Um, I think we are, Scott. And I know it's dangerous to say that this time it's different with regards to the rotation. But let's also realize that this rotation was occurring before the announcement of the vaccine. All you had to do was look at the industrials and materials to give you that clue. Now there's a very fundamental reason to support the continuing rotation into the cyclicals, into the industrials, even into the financials, which have been left for dead but are coming back. And it's just as simple as there is a path to normalcy ahead of us. Here's the one qualification I want to make. If you're looking at yesterday's rallying and saying, oh, shucks, I missed it, relax, calm down, because unfortunately there is terrible news coming on the virus. Scott, I know you've been all over it. I don't need to tell you that. But, you know, the numbers, um, the really bad numbers about deaths lag the case count by about a month which means at the end of this year, it's just going to be awful. And, um, and that's going to depress the economy, not depress as in depression, but it's going to hurt economic growth. And it's going, to, it's going to give you an opportunity to get into this rotation, which is one you need to be playing for the next year's plural. You're going to have an economic recovery on the back of a vaccine and treatment. Cyclicals are where you want to be. All right. So Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, they're all lower today. Zoom, Peloton, DocuSign, all sharply lower today. Many of those other so-called stay-at-home stocks are lower as well. Kramer, Tiffany says, prepare for a multi-day sell-off. They were ripe for profit-taking, he says. Yet, I find it so interesting that you bought more Peloton today. Why not wait for more of a pullback that Kramer says is still to come? Um, well, listen, with all due respect to Kramer, <laughs> I like to make my own determination of when to buy. Um, but why Peloton? Um, first, because Beyonce, right? So just when I think, you know, just when I thought um, the great news from yesterday on this kind of glimmer of a vaccine and kind of like this, this path forward um, was, was a great thing, I wake up this morning and Beyonce has struck a deal with Peloton. So I love all of those things. And so, you know, this whole conversation about value and, and are we, you know, in this kind of like rotation, I think it's really it's it's been really hard to have a conversation around um, value this year because we've had so many companies kind of emerging with these superstar, you know, with the superstar performance. Um, And so, you know, I I really do think we're still in a stock pickers environment and we have to be very careful without about painting, um, you know, large sectors with a broad brush. Um, So I I really do believe that, um, you know, you have to I I find myself even with like companies like Apple, right, and, and Peloton, asking myself not if I can afford to be in them, but if I can afford not to be. Yeah. I mean, look, Peloton was lower. It obviously has, has reversed and reversed sharply. And maybe for some of the reasons, Tiffany, that, that you laid out. Um, Pete, what about these names? Is this transition going to last? Is it time to get out with all due respect to, to Tiff and the nice move that we're seeing and the reversal we're seeing in Peloton today, Pete, is it time to get out of some of these names? 
You know, they certainly, we, we've talked for a long time, Scott, about how lofty some of these names are. And when you look at Zoom, when you look at Peloton, when you go across and you look at all of these various names that have been those incredible outperformers, you know, we've had great performance from quality names as well, where when I say quality, what I mean is their balance sheets look really great. And we're talking about companies where you look at the multiple and it's far more uh, a, something that's appealing, I think. But then you look at these other ones and you've had such an incredible run to the upside if indeed we are at the at the point where we are now looking over across the mountaintops and we're we're able to see a little something which i kind of feel we're getting there scott with this vaccine and the possibilities of a second vaccine and so forth i think that uh, i think some of these names will suffer and and those are the names that i'd avoid that doesn't mean every single name in the nasdaq is a sell i do think there are the quality names out there that will continue to produce to the upside now let's not forget either just a day or so ago, we're talking about the NASDAQ at 12,000. I know we pulled off of that, but we were at 12,000. So we have been on this unbelievable run to the upside. 11,000 was an area that everybody was looking towards. We broke through that. We got to 12,000. And now here we are pulling back, of course. And I know there's pressure on the NASDAQ again today, but I don't think this is the time to panic. I think there are names that probably because of the PE levels are sells. And, 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 it's, and it's been a great ride for those who have actually caught it. But I also think that there are quality names out there that still have plenty of upside. Apple, Microsoft, yeah. a lot of those some, various names, Facebook. I go down the list. Some yeah. of those names, Pete, you know, the ones that I mentioned were down um, earlier, like an Apple. Um, it's important to note that that yeah. stock has reversed. Apple's now in the green ahead of that event that's coming up later today that we just heard about uh, from John Fort, which he thinks is rather significant. So, yes, there is money that's going into these names, thinking that those trends that were in place are not going to end um, anytime soon. So, Michael Farr, nice to see you again. What are you nice thinking you, about Greg. the market coming off this big uh, day that we had yesterday, maybe not for the Nasdaq, but for the Dow setting its first record since February and where stocks could go from here. What are you telling your clients today? You know, to one, I guess you have to tell them to stay calm because it's wonderful to feel this euphoria that we, that we kind of felt yesterday and maybe over the past week, depending on which side of the aisle you're on. But when stock prices are going higher, you certainly can feel that euphoria. I don't really think it's a rotation, Scott, number one. I think that tech sector has a life of its own, and as it has gone up, it also pulls back at various times. But I see a broadening of the market. I see the, the value stocks and a lot of the industrials catching a bid. I think that's probably going to extend to financials at some point as this recovery continues. So there are opportunities out there. But I think it's a big mistake to suggest that the fangs and the tech stocks are over with and the money's going to come rushing out. Fundamentals for most of those companies are still very strong. You know, last Wednesday, the day after the election, the, the FANG stocks and Microsoft picked up three, $385 billion in market cap in one day in the Wednesday after the election. So that doesn't sound like a group that's dead to me yet. I like uh, Tiffany being a bit opportunistic for some of the names. That makes sense to me. Uh, I think you have to be patient and know that as we get through this and we get a reopening of the economy, we move back into that 2% GDP growth world. And you're going to want to own these companies that are absolutely able to execute, continue to expand market share and earn more to the bottom line. Weiss, I'm wondering whether, you know, you, you would all think the market's gotten a little ahead of itself in this euphoria. I think it was Michael Farr's word uh, that he used um, that we've been been witnessing. I mean, after all. Scott Gottlieb, Dr. Gottlieb says on this network, you, you're going to have ex, an exploding number of virus cases. Who knows what kind of stay at home orders you might have in some of the big cities in, in America. President still won't concede the election. You could have a messy couple of months ahead. Uh, we hope that the time frame for a, a vaccine is realistic. Uh, Secretary Azar's time frame uh, seems a little aggressive. I uh, hope that he's right. Obviously, a delay in that. Um, would maybe be an upset for the, for the market. Is the market too complacent about all of those things that I just, just mentioned? Virus cases are exploding. We're not waiting for them to. The president has not conceded. We don't have a vaccine plan uh, in terms of rolling one out, as Kramer talked about on the air this morning. Is the market paying attention to the wrong thing? Uh I don't think so. So, yeah, it could get worse in terms of the administration, particularly with Department of Justice now taking an active role and uh, 
assuming, at least speculating there is fraud there. But the good news is, is that is that there's light at the end of the tunnel. So whether the current president concedes at any point in time or not, he will be out of the office and Biden will be in. And then you'll have panacea with the caveat that that we don't know where the Senate's going to be. But assuming the Senate is going to be either a slight Democratic majority or the Republicans maintain it, you're going to have a perfect investing background. And the reason I say that is because you still have all that stimulus equivalent to over 25 percent of GDP sloshing around in the system, pushing you into risk assets. In terms of what Kramer says about not being a plan to roll out the vaccine, I just don't think that's true. I spoke to one of the vaccine companies yesterday, and they do have a plan. Depending upon whichever countries approve it, will get the first allocations of the vaccine. So Moderna's got 20 million. They've already been manufacturing it. Pfizer's been manufacturing. They've all been manufacturing it. Right. And that's it's one not, thing it, the administration it, not, has done I, well. I don't think his point was that the, the companies don't have a plan. It's that it's going to be such a massive undertaking, and the government has no plan on how to actually roll it out to all the people who need it when the government, the administration, said, the current administration, says it's going to be available. He wasn't talking about the companies that are involved in developing the vaccine. He's talking about the mechanism to deliver it from point A to point B, C, D, and E. No, I, I think, but that's what I'm saying. I believe there is, and it's been consistent, which is that healthcare frontline workers get it first, uh, then you get to the elderly. But the issue is the bottleneck is not on any of that. The bottleneck is on the ability to deliver the vaccine because they've got to be. It's 140 degrees below zero, I believe, the Pfizer vaccine. So you've got to have the trucks that can do it. Now, we've heard FedEx say they're adapting it. That's going to be the real issue, the distribution, not the plan of it. But regardless, markets anticipate events. So whether it's first quarter, I don't think it will be where we'll see mass distribution or the end of the year that you'll get it there. And that's going to overshadow everything that we're seeing in terms of the negatives. And I think that tech and cyclical stocks, I don't view them as a value because it's not a lot of value in a deer at this level or in a Honeywell at this level. But I believe cyclical and technology growth stocks can coexist with the money that's still on the sidelines, with okay. his, which is massive. So these are opportunities to buy tech. In terms of stay at home, like Peloton, I'll respectfully disagree with Tiffany. I think that their best days are going to be behind it. Maybe not this quarter, but maybe next quarter. It's still an expensive bike. Gyms will be reopening, and people want to go out and work out in gyms. And $30 billion is a lot for a company like this. Yeah, my stock is having a great day today. A nice reversal. It's up by 7.5%. All right, let's bring in our big guest uh, for our show today, Brad Gerstner. He's the founder and CEO of Altimeter Capital. It's good to see you again. Hey, good to see you. Thanks for having me on. So I, I know you probably heard the conversation that we were, were just having. And what's most interesting to me about the way that you view the market is when you were with us the end of March, you said you had reduced your total gross exposure, covered your shorts and were focused on your long book. What you now tell us is that you've been adding to your short book with lower quality software names, you say, and Internet names that appear overvalued. Are we talking about those stay-at-home stocks, the very ones that we were just discussing, a lot of these tech names, high-growth ones that have had such a great run? Well, you know, thanks for having me on. I mean, if you think about it, we're only 180 days since that conversation we had that was pretty scary and despondent at the end of March. And, of course, we said we went all in at that point, covered all of our shorts, and basically we're 100% net long because the Fed had gone all in with its balance sheet. Rates went uh, effectively to zero. Um, and that, you know, frankly, we thought that we would have uh, uh, the ability to get this under control a little bit faster than we have. We thought that we'd have antivirals faster than we've had. That's taken a little bit longer. Um, and what we saw during that intervening period of time was the support out of the Fed that really propped up a lot of these technology stocks as software and Internet complex in particular. Multiples expanded pretty dramatically uh, with those lower rates. Um, and as we sit here today, we think that, you know, it's been a heck of a run uh, for the market. And I do believe, as Jim pointed out, as Scott was just referencing, um, half of the market's been largely uninvestable for this year. 
If you were putting dollars to work, you weren't buying airlines, you weren't buying travel companies, you weren't buying hospitality companies. And I don't think we can underestimate the significance of the news around the Pfizer vaccine or the Lilly antiviral. Um, it's extraordinary what this country has accomplished in a very short period of time. And so for us, uh, we started looking at that rotation. We think dollars are going to move out of some of these uh, really terrific software companies and, and, and internet companies. We're just going to have a reversion to the mean around some of those multiples as the 10-year and the 30-year start to revert to the mean. We've already seen significant moves out of the long end of the curve. So we're not making some big macro call. We're just saying this is a, this is a, a normal rationalization, normalization of those multiples. Tech companies are still going to do fantastic. That's, you know, what we're betting on. Um, but at the same time, we think the other half of the market, which most people have not participated in over the course of the last four months, you know, will really start to reflect a return to normalization as you start to see it, uh, you know, priced into to some of these stocks. So you you do, in fact, it sounds like, think it is time to be selective, but sell some of those stocks that have expanded their multiples a lot since the spring and take a look at some of those reopen epicenter cyclical value whatever you want to call them the stocks that have a lot of potential upside because of the news of the vaccine and the ultimate distribution of it i mean we're in the business of portfolio and risk management scott and so if multiples expand by 40 percent and you're not making any adjustments to your portfolio right, to massive binary events like the announcement of probably uh, the best vaccine ever produced, right, that would be uh, us failing to do our job. So we're not changing the companies we love. Our top five have generally been the same top five uh, for well over a year now. But on the margin, we're managing our exposures, um, you know, to take advantage of what we think will be a rotation back into some of these stocks, which have been uninvestable. As you know, um, this move has been happening. The bond market, the 10 years, 90 percent off of its lows, right? The 30 years, 50 percent off of its lows. But there's still a significant ways to go before we revisit January 1st levels. And the inverse to those uh, higher uh, rates on the long end of the curve is lower multiples on these high growth stocks. So that's a natural phenomenon. We're not you know, we don't have any panic around uh, these terrific companies. Zoom is a, a world-class business, is going to be a world-class technology platform for a long time. But I think prudent portfolio management would simply say that you, uh, you, you know, you, you manage out of some of that exposure into some of the companies which have failed to capture a bid for most of the year. What do you do with uh, Snowflake, which I know you like very much? You were in very early. Is that it's sort of one of these I don't know. What did it go public? A hundred times sales? Is that one of the kinds of things we're we're talking about in the space of software, which you and I have had a conversation about uh, for the the better part of the last two, three years? Well, you know, let me first say that, you know, the one thing that I want to celebrate is you and I would have never predicted 180 days ago. Right. That the Internet companies that power this economy would have kept us all connected, would have kept all of our shelves full that the software companies would have so seamlessly kept our businesses running, that the government would have done its job with respect to liquidity, or at least the Fed did its job. Uh, you know, frontline workers kept people moving. We had the greatest election turnout in the history of this company, country in the middle of a pandemic. And now our biopharma community has delivered a one-two punch with more coming that's the greatest rate of innovation around bioscience that the world has ever seen. And so with that as the backdrop, when we look at these software companies, we're certain that the digitization of corporate America has been pulled forward. We're certain that the rate of growth over the next few years will be higher than it would have otherwise been because there is not a CEO in America now that doesn't understand the need to move their technology into the cloud and to be a digitally uh, uh, hybrid environment. But at the same time, you have to pay attention to the price you're willing to pay today. As Warren Buffett says, your returns are greatly impacted by the price you pay to get in. When we look at Snowflake, we think it's going to be one of the most extraordinary. It already is the largest uh, software IPO in history. And we think it's positioned to be one of the most impactful and iconic technology uh, companies of the next 10 years. We think of it as the fourth cloud. 
We think all data will ultimately, for most businesses, will reside there. Um, and the connective tissue that they'll provide to help companies uh, uh, derive insights out of that data will be second to none. So we're huge believers in the long term on Snowflake. And uh, investors will have to make their own call on uh, the multiple that they're paying today for those earnings. So I want to I wouldn't pay that much attention to the next 12 months. You and Kramer like to talk about 100 times sales. But when you are analyzing a company that's growing over 100 percent, which with such low penetration of its TAM that this company has, you really need to look out three years to figure out what you're really paying for the business. Compare the multiple three years from now with the multiple of the rest of the software complex, and it looks uh, it looks far less onerous. Only, o- only I think, Brad, because it just speaks, or at least it spoke at the time of its uh, going public, of a a narrative that had gripped the market that people were willing to pay up uh, for the kind of growth that a snowflake would deliver, not an indictment of Snowflake or its CEO Slootman in any way, shape or form. It was just sort of the psyche of the market at that particular time was was the reason why I think those those comments were were relevant. Here, here's what I want to do. Um, uh, one of the members of the investment committee, Tiffany McGee, um, because of the, what the comments that you just had, I, I think, are very interesting. She bought more. Tiff, you bought more service now. You bought more Salesforce since we're talking about the cloud. You bought more DocuSign. I'd already mentioned that you had bought more Peloton. Can you explain the reasoning behind those moves? And, and look, I'd like to get Brad's opinion on making the moves in, in names like that right now, given what he just said. Tiff, the floor is yours. Yeah, sure. So listen, at the end of the day, I invest in innovation and strong management. And so, you know, we have these these conversations around valuation. Um, and again, I don't think that we can have that same conversation using the same metrics. We have to consider the time that we're in. Um, and, you know, we were talking about earlier that these, these things are not going to go away. Um, you know, I, I find myself, again, asking not, you know, I, I want to get things for the best price, but some of these things I just have to be in. So when I see the dips, I'm going to buy the dips. And so I'm also not a trader. I'm an investor. And I see all of those names that you mentioned, Scott, as good opportunities for the long haul. And so these are not, you know... For, for the most part, these are not companies with like, you know, 20 and 30 competitors that are exactly the same. These are companies that are really strong leaders in their markets um, and they're they're dominating and they've really kind of kept us through during this entire year. And I don't think that's going to change when we do have a vaccine that everyone has taken. OK, uh, investing Professor Gerstner, uh, <laughs> what grade do you give to uh, the explanation of, of the thesis of why Tiffany just bought the names, um, you know, d- despite some of the, the noise within the market that we're seeing around them. Oh, I mean, like Tiffany just demonstrated why she's a great investor, right? She's looking at this as an owner. She's going to hold these for a long time. Um, she doesn't have any idea. I don't have any idea what they're going to do over the next 30 days. Um, but if you have the perspective of whether or not those are terrific companies, um, ServiceNow, DocuSign, extraordinary companies aren't going anywhere. Terrific business models, great management teams, right? And if you're willing to tolerate some mark-to-market loss on it because multiples may continue to compress, um, then I have no problem buying it. What I worry about are Robinhood traders, right, who've been rewarded all year long buying every single dip, who failed to understand that we have an event now that is likely to ch- to, to change the course of of the long end of the market, right, is likely to cause the Fed sometime in 2021 to take a harder look at the liquidity situation and the short end of the curve. And that does impact multiples. But if your time horizon is long enough, then all of those companies are terrific buys. And let me just also say, right, this correction has been occurring, Scott, for several weeks now, right? I'm just looking at our our dashboard, right? Zoom peaked at 21.6 times right, uh, forward revenue. Today, it's already back to 14.6 times. And pre-COVID, it was at 13.6. So we're almost back to the multiple on Zoom that we were pre-COVID, 
because the earnings power of the company has come up so much over the course of the year. If I go down the list, Shopify peaked at 21 times. Now it's at 16.7 times. Pre-COVID, it was at 11.7. So buying today is certainly not buying the top. A lot of the correction has already occurred. Um, I, uh, you know, we, we believe that you know, this rotation is going to continue, but investors shouldn't think that they're smart enough to bottom tick all of these companies. They should have their wish list and they should have a deliberate plan to buy on, you know, on this path downward so that they can get to their full position, uh, you know, somewhere uh, at a reasonable and fair entry price. When was the last time you you added to or thought about adding to an Uber, Expedia or United, given the conversation that we're in right now? Um, we've added to them at several points over the course of the last couple months. Um, I think more importantly, I was I was one of the crazy ones who back in April, uh, as you know, thought that we would get to the other side of this. And so we had a lot of those positions back in April. As you remember, I raised, in fact, a special purpose vehicle uh, simply to buy those names. Um, and I said, I don't know whether we're going to be on the other side in six months, 12 months or three years, but I do know we're going to be on the other side. And that special purpose vehicle is up over 100 percent off of uh, where we purchased those stocks in April. And so, you know, again, it's knowing your investment strategy, committing to an investment strategy. Um, and, you know, I think today buying Expedia at one hundred and twenty five dollars a share is a very different decision than buying it at sixty dollars a share 100 days ago. How about United? Can you can you give me a sense of what sort of renewed optimism you may feel about United and how that speaks to maybe the airline trade more broadly for those of our viewers who may not be in United specifically, but do own an American uh, or Jim Labenthal, for example, owns Alaska, um, Delta, things like that. Well, first, let me just say that I think the airline industry, the frontline workers, the executives running those airlines in the face of massive political pressure have done an incredible job at transforming an industry and getting needed uh, uh, medical workers and, and others, family members around the country during an extraordinary, extraordinarily difficult time. Um, and so, you know, hats off to every single one of these airlines. My 84-year-old mother flew United out here a couple of weeks ago and flew it back. And, you know, I'm, I'm so impressed, uh, you know, at what they've done. When you look at the airline industry relative to, say, something like the cruise line industry or relative to an online travel agency, um, I think that there's a temptation to look at the old stock charts and say, OK, where were these stocks trading last November I'm going to make a bet that they're going to get back there as soon as we have a vaccine. Here's the problem with that analysis. These airlines have taken on a massive amount of debt, right, in order to survive. And so the balance sheets and enterprise values of these businesses is just fundamentally different. Um, and so you, you shouldn't anchor yourself to that. With that said, I also think that there are extraordinary moves that all of these airlines have taken in order to right-size their businesses, in order to reduce change fees, to put themselves on a much better competitive footing on a go-forward basis. And so the question one needs to ask is, in a normalized environment, whether that's 22 or 23, is United going to get back to $10 in earnings? And if you believe they can get back to $10 in earnings, then that's going to be a $90 or $100 stock. And that's going to be, you know, up 100% from where it is today. Um, I happen to believe that we, you know, the, the human desire to travel, to socialize uh, hasn't been diminished at all. I watched that Notre Dame victory over Clemson. I watched 5,000 students <laughs> rushing the field in the middle of a pandemic, both terrified, but also heartened by the fact that, you know, the enthusiasm of people to celebrate, to be together, to travel has, has, has hardly been uh, diminished. And so I think we're going to get there. I think that the, the earnings will be different than they would have otherwise been, right? Uh, take an Expedia, which has slashed massive costs at the same level of revenue that Expedia had in 2019. They're going to be 30 to 40 percent more profitable. Their profit margins are going to expand by 800 basis points because they've used this burning platform to right size the business. So, you know, it's idiosyncratic. You need to go company by company. But I'm bullet, you, you know, the, the, as to the question as to whether or not people are going to return to restaurants, 
return to traveling, return to staying at hotels. I frankly think we have extraordinary pent-up demand. Uh, and I think that I can make an argument that starting in June of next year and that 12-month period may be some of the greatest travel demand we've ever seen. I still want to talk to you about a, a few things. I want you to, to stand by if you could. I do have to go to uh, Bertha Coombs, who has breaking news uh, right now on the Affordable Care Act. Bertha? That's right, Scott. A big court hearing at the Supreme Court today over the constitutionality of the Affordable Care Act. And from the arguments, which wrapped up two hours worth, it appears that the justices are not inclined to throw out the whole law. Of course, it's foolhardy to say what the justices will decide. But here's here are the facts. Basically, the Republicans are arguing that when the penalty for the individual mandate was zeroed out, it was no longer a tax. And that had been a linchpin of Justice Roberts' argument for upholding the law back in 2012. But Justice Roberts didn't seem to be inclined to hear that argument today. And in fact, some of the conservative members, uh, Justice Alito said, well, you're talking about perhaps a plane that you pull it out and it's not going to fly. But from what we've seen, the plane has not crashed. And Justice Kavanaugh, in fact, also said that he He's not inclined to go against this issue of severability and say that once you invalidate the mandate, that the whole law needs to come down. So it's unclear whether they will find the mandate itself unconstitutional at this stage, but it doesn't appear that they want to bring the entire law down. And what we've seen is some of the Medicaid players like Molina Health and uh, Centene, which were lower uh, going into the session this morning, are now much higher as a number of investors seem to be interpreting that. Hospitals as well, which would be big losers as well, if you saw more people losing coverage with the law being uh, overturned, also doing better today. Scott? All right. Good stuff from Bertha Coombs. Thank you so much uh, for that. Let's take a quick break. Brad Gerster is going to stick around. J.P. Morgan's Dubrovko Lakos joins the party. He has a big call for next year in stocks as well. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The Pentagon's top policy official has resigned, according to multiple reports. James Anderson's departure follows President Trump's firing of Defense Secretary Mark Esper yesterday. A huge study of COVID-19 survivors finds nearly a fifth develop mental illness within months of testing positive. Also, those with pre-existing mental illnesses were 65% more likely to be diagnosed with the virus than those without. And lawyers say they cannot find the parents of 666 migrant children. That is a 20% increase from the last time they reported to a judge last month. Roughly a fifth of those children were under the age of five at the time of separation by federal government officials at the southern U.S. border. You are up to date. That's the news update, Scott. I'll send it back to you. All right. We appreciate that very much, Sue. Thank you. All right, Pete, before we get back to Brad, because it's a good segue uh, into into Brad again, you sold calls in Uber and Lyft. You want to tell me about that? Right. Sure. We had the, the unusual option activity in there, Scott. As a matter of fact, I think the Uber were talked about on, on the network here. But I got to tell you something. When you get a move that rapidly in a stock, and we're looking at the options here, but when you get that kind of a move in the stock like we got from $34 to $49 in just not too many days, and the similar type of trade when it comes to Lyft, 23 to 34 in just a couple of days. I understand the vote in California. That was a big part of this whole thing of why it rose. Also vaccines. That's another positive for both of these. But the problem I have right now is when you look at these names, when will they make money? And I I know Brad has a much different time horizon than I do. I'm looking at trades and I'm looking at weeks and months sometimes. But the reality is I look at these companies. I love these companies. We all use them. We all think they're the greatest. 
But at some point in time, don't they have to start making money? They haven't yet. Someday they will. But that's why it's a trade for me. It is not an investment. So, Brad, give me your thoughts on Uber, you know, post-election, it, it, whether the road, so to speak, is, is cleaner now, clearer uh, for a company like this. And, I mean, you could speak specifically to Pete's trade. But, again, your, your horizons are obviously different. I mean, come on, Pete. Yeah. Since when do companies have to make money? Um, no, it's, you know, the, the reality is Uber has been one of the most hated stocks in the stock market all year um, by everybody from professional investors to retail investors. And over the last three weeks, they frankly pulled off the hat trick. Um, you have, uh, you know, the independent contractor plus model, which has now been adopted by the state of California, which provides uh, uh, benefits, but allows the flexibility of independent contractor work for, for the hundreds of thousands of drivers in the state, uh, the 80% of drivers supported. Um, number two, they had a great earnings report, right? They're, they're uh, EBITDA profitable on the rideshare business. That profitability improved by, I think, four or 500 basis points sequentially. Um, and, and, and I think that within two quarters, that'll be back over 30%, which is where it was in, in January and February of this year. And then they also had margin improvement in the rideshare business, which is also growing over 100 percent. And while most people in this country think it's a second uh, you know, tier selection to DoorDash, the reality is Uber Eats is dominant around the world and gaining share. I think they reported in several, maybe up to 10 markets in the United States. And then, of course, the third piece of this right, is the vaccine news. And as you have rideshare normalizing, you've now introduced millions of people to, you know, the convenience of pushing a button and getting delivery. And it's not just uh, it's not just food selection from restaurants anymore, although that's expanding quite wildly. They reported over a billion dollars now of grocery deliveries. And in many parts around the country, this is becoming the local e-commerce solution. Whatever you want, whether it's from a convenience store whether it's from a local, local merchandiser, whether it's from a restaurant, whether it's from a grocer, right? You establish one account, you push a button, you get what you need within 30 minutes. Weiss, um, relating hey, to Brett. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'll be back to you just in a sec, sorry. Tiff. I promise. I promise you. Okay. Um, you initiated a position, Weiss, in Delta Airlines. I did. You know, I'm, I'm so heavy into tech, um, traditional tech, if if you can consider a Corvo and Skyworks and a Qualcomm traditional tech, it seems like that's where it is versus the Zoom and the others. So I want to get a little exposure there. I'm not as optimistic about the uh, the revenues returning, as Brad points out, 22 and 23, because I think you, you've seen a permanent uh, cutback in business travel, which is the most profitable travel for the airlines. However, the market trades a momentum. It's not traded on fundamentals or valuation for a long time, and the momentum in these names is going to continue. So I want to get exposure in the airlines. I like United. Uh, I think that's the premier one because it's got the Asian travel, but we're not there yet with the Asian travel. And frankly, I, I think it's, you know, I've got a little time. It's not a full position, Delta, because I think they'll pull back a little bit. Brad, but I mean, I'll be buying more. It's a, it's a good point, um, Brad, that that Steve makes. I mean, business travel is going to take, I mean, it could take a long, long time, you know, handful of years, if not more. I mean, Steve is a glutton for punishment in these things, just like <laughs> I am. So welcome back. Um, yep. The truth of the, the, truth <laughs> of the matter is, you know, I said possible for United Airlines to get back to 10 bucks in earnings in 22 or 23. If you go back to our forecast at the start of the year, we thought they would be closer to $20 in earnings in 22 or 23. So, uh, you know, the world has permanently changed. I agree with Steve on that. Business travel isn't gonna look like what business travel was, you know, a year ago. But at these price levels, I don't think that you have to assume that the world looks exactly like it did before. Uh, but I encourage everybody to do their own work. Um, you know, these are not for the faint of heart. The numbers around COVID and, and Scott, You've done an extraordinary job of reminding everybody the numbers are getting worse. The vaccine announcement is not at all clear. I got the unfortunate news that my brother-in-law uh, was admitted to the emergency room with COVID in Florida last night. Our family was reminded, you know, that we're in the throes of this. 
right? And, you know, the antiviral out of Lilly is an important step forward. We can treat the people with remdesivir or this antiviral who get it, but there are going to be hundreds of thousands of people who test positive for COVID in the months ahead before we get the distribution of the vaccine out there. So now is not the time to let down your guard. In fact, I might argue just the opposite. Mm -hmm. Now is the time to be most careful because we have a miraculous vaccine around the corner. You ought not take uh, unnecessary chances, you know, because we're going to have widespread distribution. Um, I think the Pfizer CEO said yesterday, maybe 50 million doses, uh, you know, by the end of the year. And we're ramping up production from there. But we are not out of the woods by any stretch. Those headlines will cause continued volatility in all of these names. All I'm saying is I'm betting on the future of America. And I think over the long haul, the new normal is going to look a lot more like the old normal than people think. And if your time horizon is long enough, then you can comfortably own some of these super high quality businesses um, and and they should be part of a portfolio. I will make that the, uh, the last word and a good one at that. And I'm glad you said the things you did about sort of where we are. And I wish you and your family very well. Grateful for the time. I know our viewers are, too. Brad Gerstner, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, we will talk to you again soon. That is Brad Gerstner. Up next, J.P. Morgan's Dubrovko Lakos joins us. He has a bullish call for 2021. Dow's up 165. S&P and NASDAQ are negative. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. We're back. Let's bring in another market voice. Dubrovko Lakos, the head of equity strategy, global quantitative research at J.P. Morgan. It's nice to see you. Thank you. Good to see you, too. Yeah, you have a bullish call. And to say the least, you think we're going over thirty six hundred. I mean, we're there uh, before the end of the year. Four thousand by early next year. Talk to me. Look, I think it's uh, relatively simple. I think the equity market is facing one of the uh, best backdrops for sustained gains in, in, in a number of years. Uh, we basically have dealt with all kinds of risks over the last few years, ranging from, uh, you know, global trade tensions to obviously this pandemic uh, U.S. election and the politics around it. And I think there's now room for a lot of these risks to basically subside and for volatility to gradually start to compress. Uh, and that in itself to then start driving a mechanical re-leveraging re- across equities, while at the same time, I think the earnings recovery, the labor market recovery continue to be uh, moving in the right direction. So I, I think the outlook is actually quite positive. What, what gets us there? Is it value? Are we in the throes now of this move? So we, we've been pushing, I think value definitely has room for catching up and what I like to say converging to the upside as opposed to momentum converging to the downside. Um, but look, we've been sort of pushing a barbell type portfolio where on one hand we have healthcare and communications. On the other hand, we have industrials, materials and, and energy in terms of sectors. Jim Labenthal, Farmer Jim. Hey, uh, Dupravko, thanks for joining us as always. Um, you, you've been consistent on value uh, getting ready to have its time. Industrials and materials already have. It seems like financials are next uh, on deck to start rallying. 
But that depends on some arguments that I'd like to see if you push back on these or if you agree. One would be that we've over-reserved for loan losses. Your boss, Jamie Dimon, thinks that maybe, maybe we have. The other is, does the steepening yield curve actually sustain or does the Fed sit on the long end to keep the housing market going? Um, and finally, do you think the Fed ever lets buybacks uh, come in? Because if all three of those things happen, financials are a really good place to be right now. But do you think that I've overplayed the hand just now? No, I don't. I, I would actually agree with all three. I think the difficult part, however, is timing uh, each one of those components. I, I think generally the hurdle for banks in 2021, I think, should not be that demanding uh, as what we heard from CEOs from, from different banks. So I generally would agree with that. Uh, I think uh, there, you know, we, we could definitely be seeing some form of upward pressure on on rates, and you know that could result in, in in some degree of yield curve steepening. And obviously, you know, central bank policy will continue to compress some of these moves. But I, I do think that there is still probably further upside there. And then I think, um, you know, very importantly, buybacks. I think buybacks are coming back not just for banks, financials, but I think more broadly for for the S and P. S and P 500 is back in, in terms of cash levels. It, they're sitting almost back at, at, at record highs. And obviously, a lot of that has been due to extremely favorable financing, interest rate conditions, a record debt issuance. But that cash will get put to use. And I think buybacks is definitely going to be one area, including banks. And I think the other area that I'm just going to throw out is M&A. I think the environment for M&A looks actually quite promising. Mm. Michael Farr, got something for Dubrovko. I do. Dubrovko, you're talking. I also read through your notes, so thank you. It's fascinating, and I hope you're right on so many of these things. You talk about a rotation out of the momentum stocks. How do you define those, and is that a code word for FANG? I'm kind of wondering why a Microsoft and a Google or a Facebook would stop working. Yes, yeah, so I think momentum, first of all, it's a very uh, generic word. It gets thrown around a lot. Many different things sort of comprise momentum. Um, I wouldn't even put your Amazon and your Fangs right now in the absolute uh, upper echelon of momentum. I think there's other areas that are even higher on the momentum scale. But like things that I would be most worried about personally are things that you know yeah. uh, may not have staying power uh, on the back of the vaccine use that, for instance, we just got yesterday on, on the back of sustained COVID normalization. So things that don't have sustained power. I think Fangs, generally speaking, I think fundamentals are actually pretty good. Uh, there could be some pullback, but I think they do have sting power. I think some of the other more specialized, call it, uh, plays that have massively benefited from, from, from these lockdowns and restrictions, I think they could, they could be at, at, at more risk within tech and within communications. Can you, uh, and then the other can thing you name I'll mention few? is, yeah, I would prefer probably to stay can away you name from, uh, you, he I doesn't, would prefer to stay away from individual stocks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's but, not, uh, the other thing I would mention is ball game, uh, Michael Farr. The other thing I'll mention is ESG. Darn. ESG has significantly benefited over the course of the last year. And uh, there was expectation for a blue sweep, which would significantly benefit continuation of ESG, green tech, alternative energy. And with a gridlock type outcome, I'm not so sure that, that things are going to be as easy there. So I'm not saying that the trend is going to roll over. I just think that you can see a slowdown in the trend. And given where positioning and multiples are for many of these stocks, uh, I think that's an area that also potentially faces some some short term vulnerability. Yeah, we know how much you like working at J.P. Morgan. We don't want to do anything to upset uh, you or that. So, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank for, you. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for being here. We'll talk to you again soon. I got to bounce. That's Dubravko Lakos uh, over at, at J.P. Morgan. Up next, Pete's got unusual activity. We're back just after this. It's unusual activity time. Pete, take it away. Lennar is up big today. Yeah, it's going right along with D.H. Horton. It absolutely crushed their numbers, and take a look at what that stock's doing. But Lennar, the 72-and-a-half strike calls, going all the way out to May, Scott. They bought about 2,500 of these for an average price of about $9. Stocks already run up $2 since they started buying those earlier today. I got a second one for you as well in GM. Now, GM, again, they're going out in time. They're actually buying the March 55 calls here in GM. So that's going to be a pretty interesting move. But the March 55 strike call, 7,500 of those trading for about 55 cents. So people expecting to see both these old, old, old type names to start skyrocketing to the upside, but they're getting a little bit of time. Hey, well, Jim Labenthal and Steve Weiss have been looking for that, especially Jim. Jimmy Labenthal. <laughs> Happy about that. Thank you, Scotty. And I appreciated your comments from last week, too. I caught that. Look, it's, it's been a long time coming, I know. Yeah. Um, but look, things are working for GM. <laughs> They've cut permanent costs out of the picture. Um, the cruise division is working. I hope they spin okay. that thing off, man. I mean, 
That's a double yep. right there. Spin right. it off. Pete, thank you. Jim, thank you. Now to the futures Thanks. outlook. Crude oil is on the rise. Brian Stutland joining us with that trade. All right. We, I mean, we know the vaccine news really set it ablaze yesterday, but does it have staying power? Well, the vaccine news is great for oil producers because they're poised now to make a ton of money. But in terms of the crude oil, you still have this trend channel going along in oil here. You know, it tried to go to the lower side. But I think this push up here is a little overdone because suppliers are going to come into this market. The spigots are going to get turned back on. I'd be a seller of the December 41 uh, strike area. Sell that December future, $41, looking at to trade down to 38.70. That way, if I win on this trade, that's 2,300 bucks in my pocket. I put a stop at 41.70, you know, to risk that, that little bit to the upside in case we go to the upper end of this channel that we've been in. But otherwise, I like playing it to the downside. I, I, I'm sh- I like being short oil versus if you're going to buy some energy-producing stocks in your portfolio. Here. Yeah, you think after one week, 9%? <laughs> we appreciate yeah, it. it's a little overdone, right? <laughs> yeah. Brian Stutland, well, not for me to say, but I mean 9% in a week. Brian Stutland, thank you. Final trades are next. All right, we're back. Let's run through some trades here. Jim Labenthal, you bought American Tower. Yeah, going to make this really quick. This is going to be a long-term, multi-year investment for me. Look at a 10-year chart. This is a great business and a great stock, but I'm just nibbling now. It's a little expensive, so I'm going to be adding to it over the coming months. Okay. Uh, Steve Weiss, you sold Jumia. I did. It was a speculative position, as I was clear about. They reported the quarter, and while they're moving towards profitability, to me, that's not the game plan. They got there at the expense of sales and the expense of marketing. So, look, I think it'll be okay on a very long-term basis, but it's not what I want to see out of an online retailer. You also trimmed Corvo. You trimmed Skyworks. You trimmed Facebook. You trimmed, why did you trim Alibaba? Be quick. Well, Alibaba's got some major issues with the antitrust regulators that came out with new regulations today, which is going right at Alibaba. In terms of the others, I still have my same core positions. If you recall, I supersized them on the sell-off and before earnings. I'm just getting back to the normal core. But watch for Alibaba, Tencent, and JD. Not good news. Got you. All right, Tiff, uh, you bought more Square. You bought more MasterCard. You bought more Disney. I did buy more Disney. I mean, it's a whole new world with a, with a vaccine, Scott. Um, and they, they report earnings this uh, Thursday, I believe. And so I think they can hit 100 million subscribers with Disney+. Plus. They have a strong track record of outperformance in park and film and kind of integrating those right. two. Okay. Um, they're geniuses at making a movie with the princess. I got to go. So I got to go. I appreciate it. Michael Farr, quick. It. Pete, quick. CVS, eight times earnings, 3.4% dividend. They're giving all the flu okay, shots. Okay, that's not quick enough. This company's Pete. making money. <laughs> Valley National Bank Corp, Scott. Take a look at this one. I bought the stock and calls. Okay, that was a little quicker. Thank you. The exchange starts right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. At Capella University. You'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.